0: back to the Newsy Sportscast. Always thrilled to have on the one part of the best broadcast tandem in the MLS, uh, one of the assistant coaches for the Canadian men's national soccer team uh, and a man with Scotland caps for the national soccer team in Scotland. It is Steve Caldwell. Thanks so much for coming back on again.
1: Thanks for having me, Jamie. I appreciate the introduction as
0: well. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, any time, hey, I'll call you up if you want, and I'll be like, stay good call well here we go. <laughs> All right, so what I thought we'd do is uh, just sort of, I think people have conversations and then sort of like a rapid fire rough fun round. I'm going to okay. switch it up, and we're going to start, get warmed up with a bit of a, a quick round. I just kind of want one answer, one word, if, if possible, um, but if you, know, if you throw in a couple extra, that's okay, but uh, hey. here we go. All right. Question number one, uh, Champions League winners, PSG or the field? The field. Chelsea needs Lukaku to challenge City. No. Uh, as a Scot, were you happy with Scotland's performance at the Euros or more disappointed that they didn't get out of the group? Disappointed. Uh, fill in the blank here. Jack Grealish is a blank fit for Man City.
1: Interesting. Do you want? Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? I do. I I don't know how it's going to work. I mean, I, I trust Pep Guardiola implicitly. He normally gets it right. And he finds a way to get the best of players. But I do not know how Grealish will work. How he'll fit into the team and the system, and actually even what position he'll play. I've got a feeling he might play false nine if they don't get Kane or or the number nine that they want. So I'm interested to see how that develops
0: embarrassment to riches imagine imagine the villa fans if uh he's on the bench <laughs> yeah be oh funny. man crazy yeah. all right we move on uh another blank here you could give javier perez blank minutes in a game if you needed to tonight how many minutes <laughs> 10 <laughs> 10 good minutes all right well hey that's uh maybe that's more than some of them <laughs> these days anyways we move on. um True or false? This is Michael Bradley's last year as a TSC player. False. Uh, and then the last one for the rapid fire round, uh,
1: better anthem to belt out before a match. O Canada or Flower of Scotland? Oh, you put me in the spot there. What a question. <laughs> um, no, I you no, no. say I'll Flower of Scotland. Oh. In Scotland. Yeah. That
0: song is great. And I have to say, I was quite embarrassed after, not knowing what the Scottish anthem was on a previous podcast that we did. <laughs> and then I looked it up, and then I think I texted you. I can't, couldn't stop listening to it. That's it was, awesome. It was, it, it was so beautiful, man. Just tears. Yeah. Tears probably flowing. Unbelievable. Cool. Uh, so for those that don't know, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, Steve, uh, an assistant coach with the men's national team, and the men's national team just coming off of a tremendous showing at the Gold Cup. Um, got to the semifinals uh, against Mexico in, in a crazy one. Uh, you know, if people aren't aware, uh, you know, Steve, you've played in all sorts of hot situations, uh, you know, derbies and rivalries. Um, you know, obviously, TFC Columbus. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, through the TV, obviously, we're all the Voyagers here in Saskatchewan were we're watching and, and yelling at the top of our lungs from just, you know, at the TV screen about everything that was going on. How hot was it there in terms of the spice, in terms of the rivalry? Uh, you know, and how do you compare it to to experience you had back in uh, in Britain?
1: Uh, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. It was um, it was a great stadium, actually, not as um, NRG in Houston, is not as um aesthetically pleasing as ATT in Dallas in terms of like money spent on it and the infrastructure inside. But it's it's pretty impressive because it sort of gets darker as you look up. Mm. And it, it feels like you know you can't quite see the top of the uh the top of the seating because it's it's such a kind of dark space up in the the, the roof area. You know, it is a roof stadium, it's an indoor stadium. So it was pretty impressive and it was building up slowly, but surely as the game kind of started and went on. And I think it was some point in the second half where the fans were getting right into it. The game was on a knife edge and it was, it was very impressive. I was enjoying it a lot. It seemed like the guys were responding to that atmosphere as well, which was, was really pleasing for me and for us as a group uh, to, to enjoy something like that. It's important as well. If you're going to feel overawed, then uh, it will affect you. So, Pretty incredible. Um, yeah, I'd put it up there with, with most. It was it was pretty loud. Um, I was watching from an eye in the sky position, so I was kind of up in the middle of it. So I, I was a bit disappointed. I never felt it from the kind of pitch side level because I'm sure it was even louder. Yeah.
0: and it, And it seemed so. I guess one of the questions was, and if you don't have an answer for this, that's fine, but did you see anything kind of behind the scenes that you're willing to share? Of you know a little interaction or a shove or something you heard obviously if you were if you're high in the sky but you know always always if you're if you're in live you see all sorts of things going on behind and I'm sure you know John Nerdman and everybody was yelling and screaming and Tata yeah. Martino and his staff were yelling and screaming and, and everything but uh, just just from a shenanigan standpoint even
1: yeah well obviously everybody remembers what happens with the two balls and uh, and how you know they scored and they celebrated and we just wanted to try and have that last push, that last chance. And two balls ended up in the field and, mm. and one of the balls got kicked off as it should have. And then they saw that as an opportunity to kick the one that was spotted in the centre circle off the uh-huh. field as well, just to wait another 10, 20 seconds. And and that's why that big melee started, for those that don't know. That's why our guys came in and were so incensed, just the, mm. the sort of... Um, what do you call it? Gamesmanship, I think, to be polite. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you get that from the uh from the Mexicans. I just loved our reaction. I just think we weren't taking any mm-hmm. any uh, snacks for the guys, and we we were right in there and it caused that big massive melee. So yeah, mm-hmm. that that was the reason for that. I never saw anything else. I mean, these guys are and Mexico knew they were in a the game. They were they were quite complimentary at the end, they were you know the game happens, and uh, you know the, the the heat the moment's huge. But after that, they uh, mm-hmm. they were disappointed. The the Canadian players, our players, and in, um, in Mexico were obviously delighted. So mm-hmm. not a lot else to report apart for that big big mm-hmm. melee and uh, and glad that we were involved in it. Can think it showed their spirit and our, uh, our personality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know I, I've followed the men's national team closely since the 90s, and I can't tell you how many times there's been a press conference after a game, you know, that Canada lost 1-0 or 2-1 or whatever to Honduras or Panama or Costa Rica or whatever, and the other team's manager and the Canadian manager says, oh, you know, our guys played hard, like, the future is good, you know, all credit to Canada, you know, they gave us a battle, blah, 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 and then – but I'm so glad – I was so glad to hear, I guess, the word – the terms that, that, that I feel like you guys were using – with you know yeah we were proud of how we played but you know we're we're bitterly disappointed w- was that something that was a clear message from the top or was that something that just came straight out of everybody
1: uh, it was there from the top look these guys want to win they want to win every game they want to achieve they want to do things that have never been done in Canadian soccer um, and they're very focused and very determined and nobody's going to get in their way so Mm-hmm. they were they were disappointed they were there was silence i was in the, the locker room at the end and guys were just sitting there for must have felt like you know 15 20 minutes just no no noise no no words nobody said any words and you could see the disappointment because you knew how close they were and they knew what their goal was which was to win the gold cup and as well as they did you know they they set goals to achieve them and they never achieved their goals so they were they were bitterly disappointed and I think that's the, the mindset of these fellas, like they're going to get there, they are going to get there because they're not going to accept second best. And we saw that again, you know, we saw that from them in the performance and then after the match. And so just so excited for September mm-hmm. and getting back with a group and working on the things that we need to improve, which there always is, and obviously helping these guys, you know, achieve their dreams because yeah, they're so focused. It's it's a wonderful group to work with.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, a great time to be uh, a, a national side supporter of both the, the men and the women. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what are you hoping that, um, and, and I guess, I don't know if you talked to John Herdman about this too, but what are you hoping that they learn, the men learn from watching the women, you know, get over the hump, even if it wasn't pretty. You know, at the Olympics, and actually win a gold. What are the what are the the sort of the big and little things that that
1: you guys are hoping that they take away from uh, from what they saw at the Olympics? Winning, winning's the only thing that matters. And that team proved that. You know, we'll never remember how the Brazil quarterfinal went and how we beat the US, and then what happened in the final against Sweden. Um, we'll forget that. What we'll remember is the gold medals and the achievement and the podium and the. Mm-hmm you know, the, the, the last moments of celebration. So winning is is all that matters. Of course, there's a process to win and win consistently and to create that, um, you know, that flow of winning over and over. But ultimately, when it comes to the crunch and it comes to the game, it's only about winning and, and the, and the women did it. Um, and we need to achieve that as the men, you know, that's that's our next step to win something, you know, winning a qualification or winning a gold cup or, you know, whatever it may be, winning a Nations League in the future. Um, And the other thing that I think is really important that we recognise is that the women got the details right. You know, football at that level is decided by small, small details. And we, I think, still have a little bit of work to get done on the, the little details that are the difference between winning and losing. So uh, big learning experience. I'm sure every one of the guys watched it, and uh, and we're very proud. I know there's a real tight knit group there between the women's and the men's, and you know they're in part of the group chats together, and that uh, a few of the guys and a few of the women. So um, yeah, um, I was I love watching it, and I'm, I think that there's many learnings for us as we move into these 14 uh, vital qualification games. For sure. Just uh, one last question
0: about the, the national team, then we'll, we'll go on. Um, but, you know, for those that don't know, again, uh, you know, you were a Premier League centre-back. Uh, and so, you know, I'm not, not going to include Alfonso Davies as part of the defensive unit, even though I guess it could. <laughs> I'm not going to really include Tejan Buchanan as part of the defensive unit, even though I guess it could. Um, even though both those guys obviously put in a shift for Canada, I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. But I just mean specifically, uh, you know, the, the centre-backs. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the talk about this Gold Cup was, you know, who wasn't there? And all that, and I n- never did I sense, anybody sense that you guys use that as any sort of an excuse for, for not, you know, being successful and competing. Um, but the, the center backs, it seems like the ones that you guys brought were the ones that that, that are, we have. I mean, I don't mean that in a like, you know, oh, well, that's all we have, they're rubbish. I just mean, like, that's what we have is the guys that, that seem like they came. Um, were you, you know, somebody who obviously is a professional eye for that, uh, were you even impressed with, you know, Kamal Miller, Stephen Vittoria, Daniel Henry, um, you know, Frank Stirring in training?
1: I uh, know I'm missing somebody, but uh, I guess Alistair Johnson jumping in there yeah.
0: playing centre-back. Uh, were you even impressed and did it even surprise you how, how well they were solid?
1: They don't surprise me because I, I know how hard these guys work. Um, I've just challenged them to be better to be the best that they possibly be and to have a learning mindset and to accept um, criticism or or uh, feedback, feed forward, we call it a lot with the national team because, mm. you know, it's, it sounds negative feedback, but, you know, to accept that and to, to to understand that it's just to try and make us better and these guys have to on so well, you know, and and, and they always want the, the, the little minutiae, the details around how we can be that little bit better, even in big victories in the last year and a half, they want to know where can we tidy up? Where can we just uh find the small percentages that make the biggest difference. And um and the last thing I've challenged these guys is to be better than the, the summer part. So you know don't think about this. No defending is ever about individual Play. There's individual moments, but it comes from a collective spirit and a collective mentality. And I've challenged these guys to be a collective unit and, and greater than the sum of their parts. And I think we've proved that in the last six, seven games where we've really became such a tight unit supporting each other. We've played three at the back. We've played five at the back. We've played four at the back. There's different ways that we now defend with a national team, and of course, it's a team thing and a eleven player thing when you defend. But as a back unit specifically, we've nailed the details and we've improved game in game out. And um, I'm proud of them. I think Kamal Miller had a breakout tournament. I really feel he was exceptional. I think he's the best defender in the tournament. Um, and also, um, Steve Victoria's leadership abilities, captain in the team. Uh, obviously missing for the Mexico game. Daniel Henry played his moments. We played three at times where Alistair was a centre-back. And even in Frank Sturing, who trained extremely well throughout the month and is a great character and a very good player, we um, we had the players and we had the people there, you know, that were, that were waiting available in the wings. And, you know, I'll not mention Scott Kennedy and Derek Cornelius and, I'll be forgetting, guys. I'm trying to think who else would come into the fold, but there's competition for places here now, and everyone wants to be part of this. So it's it's, it's such a great time to be to be involved with these guys and to watch them grow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we could have made this whole podcast about the national team very easily, uh, and I guess hope you know we'll do that again. But I wanna I want to uh, to to jump forward uh, into Toronto FC, I guess just a little bit. Um, you know, second half against new york city fc really felt like and i don't want to put words in your words but watching it, it felt like you know not only could have tfc won it feels like they should have won the amount that they dominated and had chances and i think Richie launched one over the bar and and you know other other things happened but you know they said in their post game availabilities that you know the difference was that there was nothing to lose in the second half so you know, then makes me, brings me to this question, Stephen, what can then we take from the second half with, you know, they sub out Josie, they sub out Michael, and then they dominate. What can we take from the second half, if anything?
1: Um, they took the handbrake off. They they just went like their lives depended on it. Their, their careers depended on it and their season depended on it. And they, they had an energy and played at a tempo that was difficult to match. And so that's what we take. That that's the best version of TFC. That's what they're capable of. Um sort of irrelevant. Well, I don't know if it's irrelevant of personnel, but but certainly, you know, in terms of Josie and Michael being subbed at halftime and and people maybe not being available, to me, slightly irrelevant. It's just that's the benchmark, and that's the way that TFC need to play to be at their best. And whether it's it's Michael or Ralph or Josie or uh, Achara or Endo or Osorio or it's sort of relevant that's the benchmark mm-hmm. for TFC that's what you need to be if you want to play in that team and uh, and so it's up to Javier Perez to select the right players for the right game to to get to that benchmark again so that's what I took from it I really enjoyed watching that performance it's you know, it's the best TFC have played and I want to say, a year. Because even when they were heading towards a supporters' shield last season mm-hmm. and they were pipped by the Union and then obviously losing the, the playoff game against Nashville, they weren't in their best form. There were signs of the, the deterioration that was coming and they've obviously had a really poor season this year. So I, I thought it was TFC at their best and I just hope to see that again against a really good team in New England Revolution on Saturday night. Be BMO Field.
0: So then how big of a selection headache does Javier Perez have? Or am I hearing that you're saying he doesn't have
1: one? Uh, there's always a selection headache, isn't there? You know, you've always got to, to choose the right players for the right game. Um, and it's particularly difficult this coming week because two of the players that are potentially going to be on the bench don't sit in the bench very often. Certainly, Michael Bradley. I don't know. He's probably been the bench two or three times in his entire TFC career. So uh, he's got a big decision to make there. Uh, does he feel like the rest or the, the 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 long week in terms of no midweek game has gave Michael League spark back, or does he go with a team that that showed such promise and uh, you know such determination against uh, against NYC like? It was more than just, you know, Ralph playing well and Achara coming on and doing well. It was it was a lift that everybody else got through that energy and the responsibility that Pozzuilla took on with the armband and Azorio and Delgado, I thought, had great second halves. I've not seen either of they two play that well for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really thought that even um, Zavalea and Gonzalez were clear in terms of what was being asked of them and stepping into things and committing to challenges and... And managing the space in front of them and obviously behind them as well. So it's, it's going to be a tough one, you know. And uh, he's got to pick the right team because there's no more. There's, there's no time for uh, for mistakes. They, they they need to win this game. They absolutely need to win this game. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, it'll be it'll be <laughs> it'll be very tough, obviously, because the New England Revolution look unbelievable. And uh, then you add Tejan Buchanan and Matt Turner back in there, and yeah. that is. That is scary, but you know that's that's why they get the that's why they get to, they pay the big bucks, um, yeah. you know. Big big news, I guess, for Vancouver fans. And you know, it, as much as there's a rivalry within Canada, I think to some degree we we want to see them all do do well not not at, not at our expense, but. You know, do well, not be a laughing stock. You know, put Canada kind of in more in the in the mindset of, of MLS people. And I know big news that Ryan gold is is coming over to Vancouver. And it seems like I've heard this so many times, and so many people. I'm sure you have heard it a million times too. Oh, he's the this messy, the that messy, blah blah blah. And that's the thing that people say about this Ryan Gold fellow is the Scottish messy, and that is a death sentence for so many careers. It feels like. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not going to say is he as good as Messi or whatever, but how good is he? Uh, and what will he bring to Vancouver?
1: Yeah, first of all, nobody should ever get compared to Messi, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <ever>. not in <laughs> any way. Anyway. I heard like, another uh, lad, um, a Spanish lad, uh, heal is it was it uh, I forget his name, his first name, but he's playing at the Olympics for Spain and he's getting compared to Messi, poor uh-oh. fella. And he's oh, Danny Olmo, like, maybe or? Brian, I think it was Brian Heal. He's looks a fantastic um, player yeah. and, you know, he's getting compared to Messi. You just think, oh, no, no. yeah, good lad. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I wouldn't compare anybody to Messi, but Ryan Gould is an exceptional player and, you know, his, his careers had kind of ups and downs. He went to Sporting and, you know, he went with such a great reputation and everyone felt it was going to go so well and it never quite happened. And eventually he found himself uh, back there and, and played in the Portuguese First Division where friends doing really well and now he's got this this big move which comes with added responsibility and pressure again so I'm sure in his mid-twenties he's he's more equipped to deal with that than, than he was in his, his teenage years so uh, that'll be important how he deals with that how he, he takes on the responsibility of being a designated player it's not easy I've mentioned this a lot of times in the past to my friends in the UK and and to people over here, it's it's you, you need to be a leader, you need to train well, you need to stay fit, you need to provide numbers every single game. And, you, you know, you need to be many things that a lot of them are not because um, they've played in an environment where they've just been a goal scorer or they've just been a number 10. I think Ryan Gold has the leadership capabilities. He was, he was captain at Friends. Um, I believe that he has the quality to be good in MLS, and I think that he will revitalise that team. They've needed a number 10 for a long time. And you think about Cavallini and and Dahomey and, and uh, Casado, these guys need someone to provide the service for them. So I'm excited. I, I obviously love every Canadian team. I, I call all their games, so I want all of them to do well and I want all of them in the playoffs. So I'm hoping that he can be that catalyst, that spark, to push them towards bigger and better things. I want them all to do well, except Montreal. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> well,
0: I'm not kidding. But I do we'll, we'll I love Montreal. I Very know.
1: good team this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Wil- Wilfred Nancy is doing a tremendous job. Yeah. No question. So then, just quickly, how, how come then, if he's so good, if everybody
1: loves him so much, why was his name not in the conversation for the Euros? He was, his name was. There's a lot of people in Scotland who were actually really disappointed that he never made that squad. Um, and he took a bit of criticism, Steve Clark. And I think because he was in Portugal, uh, kind of lesser known team, mm. and it went against them. And, he, and he, he has no experience at international level. So to be fair to Steve Clark. it's a big sort of, you're taking a chance when you, when you give a place to a debutant who's never played at that level. So I, I see why he made that. But I'm just hoping he still looks at him, and if he if he delivers an MLS, I'm I'm hoping that Steve Clark gives him that chance, gives him that opportunity because, um, yeah, MLS is a great league, and mm-hmm. you probably say it's better than better than the SPL at the moment. I would anyway, for sure. So um, I think if he's scoring and assisting in MLS, he should be giving Scotland opportunities.
0: Yeah, it seemed it's a real scratcher. I mean, I don't even know. You mean I, you said everybody in Scotland was was freaking out uh it wasn't like scotland was banging in the goals so you know (laughs) maybe you know anyways hindsight the hindsight's hindsight's 2020 um you know so then you you know you you said segue into you know where you know two places i kind of want to end up and uh the first one is scotland and um you know both celtic and rangers start this year with disappointment with elation it's been two games, but up and down already. Which between those two has the edge to start? you think.
1: Uh, well, I, I want to tell you a little quote first. That the the great Gordon Strachan, ex Celtic manager, used to always say in, in Glasgow in the Old Firm: "You're only ever one week away from a crisis," <laughs> and it's it's been an example of that mm-hmm. this last week for Rangers after what's been a you know a plain sailing year for them, where they've had a lot of success. They've, they've been in for a bit of criticism, the defeat they've done the United and, and obviously behind against Malmo, they might still pull that one out the uh, out the bag and they really have to. Um, but it's I still think Rangers are better. I think Celtic have a bit of work to be done, but it's a different season. There's fans coming back into the stadium. There's added pressure that comes with that. There's the expectation that the Rangers players are going to have. The same quality season that they did last year, which was outstanding, a little bit like Liverpool in their title-winning season, where guys are playing at their absolute maximum. And, and can they do that again, Rangers? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. And Celtic are a work in progress. Can they? Can they gel? Can they rally behind Postecoglou, who's who's you know coming over and his own pressures because he's an unknown. And it's always difficult to perform in the old firm when you're an unknown. So I think it's kind of even. Like I said, Mm -hmm. they give Rangers the edge. They're they're the better team for me still, but there's a lot of unknowns. And I think we might still be unsure around about Christmas time, New Year. I don't think until we head into uh, next year uh, will we really know who's going to kind of win that battle and that race to the title. Well, the answer is clear,
0: Stevie. If they give Scotty minutes then they're going to win and if they don't yeah. give scotty minutes then they're not going to Now, i'm just kidding oh, he'll get minutes uh, well yeah one wonderful player and hopefully still committed to to canada but i don't think uh, if i asked you i this is a good this is terrible interviewing right now but i'm just going to say if i asked you if scotty Arf- how how committed scotty Arfield was i don't know if you'd give me a clear answer so we'll move on we'll move <laughs> on um this you know the the japanese kid on uh
1: on celtic furuhashi how good is he I've not seen a ton of him, to be honest, but he okay. seems like he's good. And, and the important thing in, in Glasgow is you start well. So mm-hmm. he's done that. So, mm-hmm. he, you know, he could become a real fan's favourite. I've seen guys that that came in the past, like I'm thinking of Luba Moravichic, who came over and didn't know a lot about him and was a cult hero and exceptional mm-hmm. player for Celtic. He could be that kind of guy. Um, he's, he's, um, he's fellow... Um, his fellow national, um, Nakamura, I was forgetting his name there. Nakamura played with my brother at Celtic, left-footed uh, midfielder. He was brilliant as well, Nakamura. So we we'll hope he has that kind of impact and the, the fans love him like they did Nakamura. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I need to see more of him before I can give like a, mm. a critique. but excited that he started well because that's the, the the first one ticked off when it comes to playing for Celtic. Sure.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Don't want to take too much
0: uh, of your time, Steve. Appreciate it. I know we could talk for hours and I could ask you questions for hours, but don't want to take too much of your time. Um, but so last, last place I want to go, um, then it is the Premier League. You know, we see gets the most paper and pen and ink everywhere. Um, but, you know, I, I asked you earlier about, about city and, and bringing them in. Do you think that there's maybe too much going on there now that, uh, you know, Pep has to bring too many new guys up to speed and, um, you know, so much uncertainty about playing time of Raheem Sterling, or, or are they just going to waltz into the championship again?
1: They're favourites for sure. Uh, they're exceptional. I don't think that, I think Pep will manage that situation and uh, I think he's the, the best manager in the world for me. So, um, there is a lot of similarities to the players that he has. That's what I'll say in the forward line. You know, there's mm. there's a lot of or or maybe there was no similarities, but there's there's real difficulty in understanding what the best combination might be to to the front line or the the, the attacking five. Um, and I'm wondering if it's time for some maybe to leave, even some excellent players, you know, Bernardo Silva's been talked about, as potentially leaving and I love him. He's a guy that I think's really good, but I don't know if he can keep that amount of players happy with limited minutes. So I'm wondering if Pep maybe offloads one or two, just to kind of uh, streamline it a little bit and make his life a touch easier, but uh, still the favourites, still the best manager, the best players um, and, Obviously, a lot of confidence. So i i still I still think they'll win the league. Mm-hmm. Fair
0: enough. Last last question, then, and then I'll uh, I'll let you go. Um, you know, again, I'll be honest as my podcast, so I'll say whatever I want. I'm a big uh, big time Liverpool supporter, and you know, obviously, this team was not the same without Virgil van Dijk. Um, you uh, were a very impactful player for TFC but coming back from injury over and over again was must have been so tough for you um you know to come in and be impactful right away uh, you know how how high is the expectation for Liverpool now that uh, you know Virgil is back do you expect him to hit the ground running do you expect them to hit the ground running because he's back
1: uh, i think they'll be better he's, he's an exceptional player so i definitely think they'll be better this season um yeah who knows he, You never really know how people come back from a serious knee injury. So who knows if he'll take some time and, you know, he he might be a bit rusty for a couple of months or if he just hits the ground running and he's flying right away. I I, I can't answer that. My thought would be that he'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, He looks like a fit guy, but he's getting towards 30 and it's always harder the older you get to recover. So Mm -hmm. Gomez back as well, I think it's a big thing. For Liverpool, uh, that, that's probably getting missed at the moment because of Van Dijk. Um, So I think that will be important as well. And there's, I think Liverpool should have freshened up the the front line. I think it was maybe time for one or, one or two of the guys to leave and, and and to freshen that up and 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 bring someone else. in. who knows if that still might happen? Like Jonathan David's actually been mentioned with Liverpool, which is really exciting now. I'd love that for a selfish point of view uh, for him to get there and get some meaningful minutes, but um, but I still think they need a bit freshened up in that uh, in that forward line, and and um, it's hard to see where Liverpool will be this year because last year was so disappointing, and you know um, can they hang with City for long enough to to make it interesting? That's a big question.
0: Is there are there enough soccer balls in Paris? For Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe, I'll be happy.
1: <laughs> oh wow! I, I saw someone on TV today put up you know a projected starting eleven, and it was just crazy. I had uh, D. 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 left wing back and Hakimi on the right, and you know Ramos, Marquinhos, and uh, Kempembe and uh, Varate and Winaldum, and oh my gosh! Then the front three you just mentioned it's it's quite scary to think. That, yeah. um, that the three guys might play in the same team. I never, I never thought we'd see anything better than Suarez, Messi, and Neymar. We might, we might not, because uh, because mm-hmm. of the, the stage of the career that the three of them were at at that time. But mm-hmm. it's pretty tantalising to think about. Mbappe, I have, I've got a sneaky feeling Mbappe might leave PSG. So, well, maybe he's maybe he's the one going to Liverpool. Honestly, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? I, I don't I mean, know. His wages and fee, but um, yeah, no, I've got a wee feeling that he might leave. I don't know if anybody's got the money because because of, of COVID to to pay it for him. But um, but how how they are keeping up with financial fair play? And I know it's been sort of suspended. Is is crazy to me? I just don't know. Mm-hmm. They seem like they're heading towards a Barcelona situation where it's going to be untenable in a year or two's time. So. Keep an eye on it. It's going to be exciting. The pressure's on them though. Once, As soon as Messi lands there, the pressure will be on them to win the, the French League by about 20 points and to win the Champions League and everything else. So it's never easy dealing with that pressure, even when you're a superstar like like the trio you mentioned.
0: Well, Stephen Caldwell, you're a superstar and Luke together, especially a superstar. And I really appreciate you coming back on the Nugsy
1: Sportcast. Keep in touch and uh, all the best. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jamie. See you soon. Yeah,
0: see ya.